Every now and then, we experience a close call. Some close calls are scarier, maybe more dangerous than others, like this one. Just choosing to do a jump or in a wingsuit flight, deciding I'm going to clear this ledge, I'm going to go for it, and then realizing how close I came and being really disappointed that I chose to, to take it so close. Maybe our close calls aren't while we're flying, but perhaps the best way to learn about them is by searching for answers in the extremes. This is Mountain Meister. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank. Meister fans, this podcast is supported by Moja Gear, who is reinventing the retail experience for the climbing community. If you're in need for some last-minute holiday gifts, or you just want to get yourself something nice, head on over to Moja Gear. They're offering Meister fans 15% off of their entire purchase. Type in the code MEISTER at checkout. Full details on our website. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of this wonderful podcast that we call Mountain Meister. Today, with me on the other end, I have Steph Davis. Hello, Steph. Hi. Thank you, and congratulations on becoming a Mountain Meister. Oh, thanks for having me. For the listeners who don't know Steph, she is a professional rock climber, base jumper, wingsuit flyer, and a passionate chef. She has an impressive list of accomplishments, which include many first ascents, some of which are free solo. She also owns and runs Moab-based adventures, which provides classes, guiding, and stunt and production work for climbing and base jumping. And as far as the baking and cooking is concerned, Steph, I've seen some pictures on your website. Everything looks delicious. Is that revenue generating or is that just a hobby? Oh, I just really like cooking. Really like it. You told me that you (laughs) cooked this morning too, right? Yeah, I made these really nice lavender cupcakes that are vegan. Mm, lavender cupcakes. Mm-hmm. Wow. And how do you make a lavender cupcake? Well, you take um, dried lavender and you put it in a coffee mill and you just grind it a little tiny bit. Uh-huh. And then it also has lemon. It's a, it sounds like a perfume. Yeah, they're really fragrant. They're super yummy. Have you eaten any of them yet? Um, well, the frosting, I make the frosting with coconut oil. And it has to set up for a while in the fridge. Mm-hmm. So you have to, it's better if you can be patient. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's always a problem with me when I cook. I know. It's hard. Yeah. I should have made the frosting last night. <laughs> yeah, how about, did you do any flying today? Is that what you call it? Flying when you, when you go on the wingsuit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, not today. I've been super busy um, for the last bunch of months and it kind of slowed down yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I'm catching up on life right now. Well, you do have a very interesting life, as I hope the listeners gathered from our talk thus far. Can we go to your early life first, though? Because I think that is also very interesting. I saw you majored in English as an undergrad, University of Maryland? Yes. Okay, cool. And did you have like a dream job? I mean, not all English majors want to be professional rock climbers, right? 
No, I, at that time I thought I would become a professor and that's why I got a master's after that. And mm-hmm. I actually was close to going to a PhD program and then just kind of got a little more uh, realistic about huh. options that were available in academia for me at that time. And, um, bottom line was I, I felt really strongly about living where I wanted to live. And I realized that that might not happen if I tried to become a professor. So instead you chose the realistic option of becoming a professional rock climber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I also went to law school for a week for a week. <laughs> yeah. What happened? Why? <laughs> well, because I got the master's and then, you know, I thought about getting a PhD and thought that was not, you know, necessarily the best idea. And then I thought, well, Maybe I should be a lawyer. So I went to law school and and then just, you know, it was kind of a reality check. And within the first week, I, I realized it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. It allowed me to be able to walk away and go on to the next thing. You have said so far reality check and then the next realistic thing. Both of those don't really inherit rock climbing, like professional <laughs> rock climbing. It, it's very unique. It is pretty unique. And if I was... Basing all my choices purely on, you know, career, I'm sure I wouldn't have been making those choices. Right. Well, it's worked out for you. How you lived in a van for a while. You were a, quote, dirt bag. Well, I didn't have a van. I really wanted a van, but I had an Oldsmobile. Oh, an Oldsmobile. Mm hmm. And then um, after that, I had a a Ford Ranger pickup truck. (laughs) Okay. Was the pickup truck a little bit easier? Yeah, it was great. And I actually still have a Ford Ranger. I don't drive it all the time but you know when you live in moab you sort of have to have four-wheel drive sometimes mm-hmm. and i read that you managed financially just the odd jobs you're a waitress for a while that supported what were your expenses would you say in one year how much money were you spending and taking in um well when i first moved to moab or i guess based out of moab <laughs> i was waiting tables and i i think the first year or two i made eight thousand dollars a year okay. and then i started guiding in Moab, rock climbing guiding, mm-hmm. and it was a little more sporadic, um, so probably similar money, and I just kept the overhead really low, which is why I lived in a car. Was this a difficult time in your life? Um, I think that what became difficult for me over time was the fact that I was very motivated to go on expeditions at that time, and so in the winter, I would go to Patagonia, and then in the summer, I would go wherever there was a cool opportunity with friends, so Pakistan or Baffin Island. Um, and it just kind of got hard after several years to come home from a big expedition, you know, tired, gear all filthy, and then basically be in the back of my truck. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't as relaxing. And that's why over time I finally decided I needed a place to live. Yeah, interesting. But were you, would you say you were on um, maybe a high is pretty aggressive, but. Or did you feel liberated, I guess, now that you were pursuing something like this rather than searching for whatever it was, law school, becoming a professor? Did you feel liberated? Well, it was um, what I had the passion to do. And I guess for me, if I have the drive to do something, I like all the things that are difficult associated with it. Hmm. Whereas if I don't have the drive, everything just seems like a huge insurmountable chore. Yeah. Yeah, we had this lady named Jennifer Steinman on this show. Uh, It was episode number 72, if our listeners want to check that out. She had this great TED Talk and also talked about it in her Mountain Meister Talk. (laughs) She she calls this thing in-between space, and it's the time when... 
like you start there there are like three separate times right you start something and then there's the time when you kind of finish something and you become successful or whatever it is and then there's this in between space when things are so difficult and you don't know like what you're doing heads in your hands and that's like 99% of the time except that <laughs> except that people never see that like people don't see that really really difficult time they only see the success afterward or what is hopefully a success we see it like in entrepreneurial ventures right Mm -hmm. like when somebody gives a commencement speech at a graduation they don't normally talk about that time when things weren't working out for them right i I don't know do do you reflect back on that in-between space well i don't think that that's a finite thing where suddenly it's over that's a good point in between space i think that's a constant cycle of life. And I think that if you only want to achieve or be somewhere, then you can't really enjoy the things that are happening in life on a daily basis. And so the trick is to be able to appreciate everything that's going on, even if it seems hard or, you know, a lot of work just to be happy that you're doing it. And um, I think if you're solely focused on success or getting a certain place, then then most of the time you're not going to be that happy with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think that there's even a solution for this kind of difficult in-between space or, or at least telling people about it because I was thinking like nobody really wants to hear it anyway. You know, like nobody wants to see all the depressing stuff on Facebook, <laughs> right? Like nobody wants you to, everything's really difficult right now, guys. Nobody likes that person. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's just part of life. And so, yeah. again, if you're doing what you're passionate about, then all the stuff that's not easy that becomes that becomes fulfilling i agree so you eventually have a very successful rock climbing career one that is still going now although more recently you are doing wingsuiting and base jumping correct yeah i started jumping 7 years ago i mean the things that people normally like about rock climbing are that it requires patience and problem solving right Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like those are present in wingsuiting and base jumping, at least as much. Well, the interesting thing that is not always overtly visible about jumping and flying is that a huge part of the sport is really about decision-making. And also, the jump itself is just a tiny fraction of the experience, especially with wingsuit flying, because we're flying off of mountains. And so the first thing that happens is you climb a mountain, And that's part of the experience. And then, you know, there's that two or three minutes where you're doing the actual flight. But Mm -hmm. the whole experience is a lot bigger than just the flight. So so what are you saying? Elaborate on that a little bit more. Well, you know, kind of similar to what we just discussed as far as the journey of life. People just see little snatches Mm -hmm. of these things and they think that's all there is. But it's always so much bigger than that. There's a lot of stuff that happens before, during, and after the moments that maybe pop out is um, more dramatic. Yeah, interesting. So then, but then is the base jump necessary? It, it isn't always necessary. You know, there's so many times when you go for a base jump where you make the decision to go back down hmm. and you don't do the jump. Yeah. And that's still, that's a very big part of the base jumping experience. What normally makes you make that decision not to go? The very easy ones are blatantly unacceptable conditions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, it takes a long time sometimes to get to where you're going to jump from. And the wind 
and the weather can change a lot in the space of several hours. So you could start at the bottom of a big hike or a big mountain to climb and four or five hours later when you get up there, it could be super windy or there could be a lot of clouds and you just clearly cannot make a jump. Hmm. And that happens. And then that's, that's real easy. What's harder is when it's more subtle, when you have what we call marginal conditions. So there's some wind and, you know, in your mind, you think, well, it could be okay. And, you know, depending on what you decide to convince yourself of, it's either okay or not. And, and it's never even really clear because sometimes you can jump in marginal conditions and kind of get away with it. And then you go away thinking it was okay when maybe it was just kind of rolling the dice a little bit. So there's things like conditions which are either easy or difficult to decide on. And then I've kind of found there's, um, there's also things within yourself. For example, I know myself, I don't like being really cold. Hmm. So if I'm standing at the edge of a cliff in a wingsuit and I'm just ridiculously cold, that might make me not want to jump because I feel like, oh, what if I can't use my hands when it's time to deploy the parachute mm-hmm. and uh, I don't want to have to think about that or there's too much on your mind, um, you know, and you just can't pull it together to have the focus you need. Those decisions are really hard too because sometimes people force past them, but I'm at the point where I really don't do that. Hearing you talk about this, I, I have a newsletter for our listeners. If you want to read my newsletter, it's called Keeping Up with the Meisters. And I put a thought at the beginning of every newsletter, Stefan, the point of this thought is, again, to just get people thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it deals with the decisions that we make as humans and certain things that are human behavior, but we don't always realize are human behavior. And here's mm-hmm. one thing that I wrote about, and it's it deals with skill versus luck. Uh-huh. Essentially, there's a part of your brain which strives to draw connections and make logic out of certain things. That's true. It's called the interpreter. Sounds like you're familiar with this. Yes. And humans have a really difficult time accepting something and saying that we don't understand it, right? So when something happens, we always try to attribute it to something else and we try to make logic out of it. Yes. When in reality, a lot of things are due to either luck or unluck or just straight circumstance. That's true. Have there been times when you have finished a base jump, everything has turned out okay, and that may be because your interpreter is saying, oh, I did this right, this right, and this right, and that's why I successfully did this, not that, wow, I just got really lucky. Um, I have lived through so much of these things and seen so much that I don't think that way. Hmm. So every day I'm here, I think I'm really lucky. And I'm very aware of that. Um, I do have, I have had experiences where I feel I made a poor decision and had what I considered more of a close call during a jump. And I've been really disappointed with myself. I've gotten away with it a couple times and it makes me really unhappy with myself and just ashamed of my decision making. And can you run through that? Um, It would just be a little technical to explain, but just choosing to do a jump where, or in a wingsuit flight, deciding, okay, you know, I'm going to clear this ledge, I'm going to go for it. And then realizing how close I came and being really disappointed that I chose to to take it so close, Mm. because that's not how I like to fly. Um, But I, I do see people jumping all the time and putting themselves in those situations and 
not seeming to be aware that they got away with something. And I, I find that really scary. Hmm. That's what you're scared of? What else What else do you fear? Um, not so much fear as, like I said, just disappointed. Disappointment. Mm-hmm. I don't like to... I don't like to do things like that where you're just kind of getting away with it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's sustainable and I don't really think it's respectful. So like I said, a couple of times I've kind of fallen into that trap during a jump. And when I landed, just felt really, you know, ashamed of myself and, and disappointed in my decision making. There's another proven concept of human behavior, which is that the brain, the human brain likes to push bad thoughts and regret to the back of our head. And I'm not talking about very intense, like PTSD, or um, when somebody very close to you dies. But when we do make mistakes, sometimes the brain tries to push those back. So if we think about it, like when people get a speeding ticket, right? The initial reaction is, wow, I can't believe I did that. I'm stupid. Why was I going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit? I'm never going to speed again. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself two months later, and you're speeding again. Because mm-hmm. we have a difficult time keeping that that bad feeling with us, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? We don't want to just live in this depressing world where we just wallow over our mistakes. But at the same time, we learn from our mistakes. So do you hold on to that feeling of disappointment or do you find that that sometimes dissipates? Um, well, I don't forget that. And then in the future, I try really hard to not put myself in that position again. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about fear. I think fear is really interesting. What are you afraid of? It's hmm. a good question. How about what were you afraid of? Are you not scared of anything anymore? Oh, no. I, I definitely, like everybody, deal with fear all the time. I think probably the, the most universal thing that we all have is fear of the unknown, and that probably encompasses all the specific things we could call out. I read somewhere that you were scared of falling. Are you still scared of falling? Um, yeah, definitely. I, I don't think there's anybody that really feels totally comfortable on a rock climb just hucking off it, unless it's a really safe situation. I guess that's why it's complicated. It, it's hard to it's hard to say yes or no to something like that because situations are always so different. Like, for example, if you're on a really overhanging sport climb, it's not that scary to fall off. But if you're on a mountain on low angle terrain with no gear. Yeah. You shouldn't really want to fall off. <laughs> mm-hmm. do, do you try to eliminate those fears or do you think that fear is something that is necessary like that? Um, well, you know, you have to evaluate the situation. If you're climbing without a rope, you should be trying really hard not to fall. But if you're trying something at your limit and it's real safe, then you got to tell your brain that, here it's okay. And I think that's really hard for our brains. I think, I think the easiest thing is if you always keep yourself in the same environment, because then you can train your brain to make decisions for that environment. And it's quite simple. I think where it's difficult is when you're putting yourself into very different environments. And then those environments ask your brain to behave differently. But that's example. Yeah. You would only sport climb then you should teach yourself, oh, it's fine if I fall. Mm -hmm. And then it's real simple. But then suddenly now you sport climb sometimes and then you free solo sometimes. And that's just really difficult for your brain because on sport climbing day, you should be falling. And on free solo day, you should never be falling. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think that free soloing makes you a better rock climber? Um, 
That's hard. That's a good question. That's hard to say. Sometimes I feel like it does not because the free solo brain has to be so firmly ensconced in the I will never fall mentality. Mm-hmm. And then we've seen with pushing difficulty sport climbing, you do need to be falling. So sometimes I feel like if you're free soloing too much, it becomes hard to push yourself on safe stuff. Hmm. Well put. Steph, it's time to move on to your gear recommendation, if that's okay with you. Sure. So we like to get a gear recommendation from every single person that joins us on the show. And I will say that we don't always talk about gear on Mountain Meister. But when we do, we prefer that it comes from someone who is free solo to 511, first and only woman, and also owner of Moab Base Adventures and baker of legendary lavender cupcakes, Steph Davis. Give our listeners something that they have to have. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so you mentioned a few different categories. I which... think you should do cooking and climbing. Okay, cooking and climbing. Okay, well, cooking, there's a lot of stuff I really like. I think one of my favorite things is I have a soy milk maker because I like to make soy milk and almond milk at home because it's just way cheaper and then you're not throwing away containers and um, things like that. So that's one of my favorite things I have. A soy. How do you make soy milk? It's really easy. You just soak a soy few beans. beans or brown rice or almonds or whatever you're going to do it with, and then you stick it in the soy milk maker with some water, and it basically <laughs> makes soy milk. <laughs> Hold on, time out. You can't call it soy milk if you're doing it with rice, can you? That's your that's your choice. Then it's rice milk, though, right? Yeah, but you can make anything. You can make soy milk. You can make rice milk. Okay, you know. okay. Except you can't make cow's milk. <laughs> No, it's just for nut milk and Okay. You can't throw a steak in it with some water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could try that. A poor attempt at humor. Okay, so you have a soy milk maker. Do you know so I can Google that who makes the soy milk maker? Well, there's a lot of them. Okay. The one that I really like, I got it on Amazon and it's called Soya Power Plus. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like it is that the interior of it is stainless steel instead of plastic. Okay. And so it's, I, I kind of try to avoid plastic and hot liquids. You know, it kind of leaches out the things that aren't good for you. So this one's all stainless steel inside. And um, I've had mine for years and it's working really well. Cool. All right. Well, how about climbing? What do you want for climbing? What are you recommending to our listeners? Climbing, I, the thing I recommend is, because I think this is really important and special, is I actually sell these gear slings for climbing. And the reason I do that is because you can't buy them from anybody. Nobody makes them. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my most important pieces of climbing gear. I, I bought mine years and years ago and the company stopped making them. So I was always telling people, you have to have a gear sling. And then they come back and say, well, I can't get one. <laughs> and I was like, well, shoot, I better start producing these things if I'm going to tell everybody to use them. So I, I I think it's a really important piece of equipment. Very is- entrepreneurial of you, finding a, an opportunity in the market and fulfilling that whatever's missing. Well, you would think, but quite frankly, I really don't make money on it. I just kind of <laughs> want people to have them. <laughs> well, I don't know if uh, do you have to make money to be considered entrepreneurial. I don't I don't think so. Oh, really? That's not part of the definition. I don't know. That that would be a oh, good thing well, to Google. <laughs> let's actually let's Google the definition of entrepreneur right now. I'm pretty sure it implies making money. <laughs> Let's see. I got here we go. Here we go. 
at uh, taking a financial risks, okay, in the hope of a profit, but I'm not, I don't want to make a profit. There you go. You, yeah, exactly. A person who organizes and operates a business or businesses taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. And if you're not charging for these, then I would classify that as a financial risk. I do charge. Oh, you do charge. Okay. I'm not really making a profit. Okay. Yeah. Want to get people to have them? Yeah. Well, good. Very. That's very generous of you. Well, it's you know I do these clinics and people write me letters and I'm always like you need a gear sling, and then you're telling you're convincing people they need something that they they then can't get. So it's a little. <laughs> no, I come on. There are people who tell you you need things all the time and then they charge to make money off of a profit. Haven't you gotten a call from a telemarketer? <laughs> no, not really. No, you've disconnected. I guess a little bit. Good. Never answer from an 800 number, right? Exactly. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, anyway, the soy milk maker in the gear sling on Steph's Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. It's a beautiful new website, Steph. There are some great pictures of you on there. Also highlights of this episode and a quote some, you said something in this episode that was amazing. You don't know what it is. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to find it when I <laughs> rake through this. There's going to be something. <laughs> All right. Moving on to something that I found on your profile on your website, Steph. You wrote this quote. The secret to wealth is not living within your means, but beneath them and liking it. Can you elaborate on that some more? I just think that... um it doesn't really, I think a lot of people are focused on making a lot of money, but as long as you have abundance, you're always going to feel that you live a very rich life and you can have abundance by living in your car and being happy with that. And you could also have abundance by being, you know, a billionaire. Right. So it can be done both ways. And I think it's probably a little more attainable for most of us to, um, to, uh, want less than we have than to suddenly become a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Do you know, did you ever hear that story of the fisherman and the investment banker? No. This is a, a neat little parable. I think you'll like it. I'll do my best to explain it without reading it. I don't know. I could Google it again, but here's the story. So this investment banker is on a vacation in Mexico and he sees this fisherman uh, come back with his catching of fish for the day. And the banker goes up to the fisherman and says, how long did it take you to catch all those fish? And the fisherman says, oh, a few hours. And the banker says, well, why didn't you stay out there a little bit longer and catch some more fish? And the guy was like, why would I do that? And the banker said, well, if you stayed out there longer, caught more fish, then you could sell the fish and buy a boat to go catch more fish. And the guy (laughs) says, well, you know, I'm like actually really happy with what I have right now. I have like spent a few hours catching fish. I I take a siesta with my wife every day. I hang out with my kids. It's a good, it's a good life. And the guy says, well, why don't you spend more time? So the guy says, and then what? And he said, well, you can invest your profits and buy your own cannery. And then you could eliminate the middleman and sell directly to to the consumer. And the guy says, and then what? And the guy says, well, then you would obviously take your company public and sell the company for millions of dollars. You would obviously. Right. And then the Mexican fisherman says, and then what? The banker says, well, and then you would move to a small coastal village in Mexico and spend a few days fishing, take a siesta (laughs) with your wife and spend some time with your kids. (laughs) That's cute. You like that story? That was great. That's funny. Okay. So, Steph, it has been wonderful talking to you today. 
Uh, I'm going to ask you one more question, which I'm not sure if you're going to have an answer to. Some people do, some people don't. And that is this. So you are inspiring many, many people out there. You have a a lot of fans and people like your go-getter attitude. I'm curious if you're inspiring all of these people, who out there or what kind of person inspires you? I am inspired by a lot of people. And usually it's just people who, um, who are really passionate about things. So it doesn't really matter what that thing is, just people who are passionate about something. Are there people out there who aren't passionate? Yeah, I think there are. Or they haven't found their passion. So wouldn't we expect that everybody would be pursuing things that they love? Well, that would be the ideal, but I I meet a lot of people and talk to a lot of people who have this idea of something they wish they were doing, but they're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a... It's an easy place to find yourself, and it's a, a frustrating place to be. Have you ever been there? Um, yeah, I guess that week I was in law school. <laughs> no, I'm just curious because it, it is, like, and even finding your passion is an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. It is, it is. And then there are always a lot of reasons why it seems like you shouldn't follow it or you can't follow it. Hmm. And I think that's the thing I... I try to share with people, I, I think, you know, there's always a bigger picture to everything. So when I say something like that, I'm not advocating that you should throw away everything and just go racing off towards things because they seem interesting. But at the same time, I think that a lot of times there are external factors that make it seem difficult to do what you want. And sometimes it's important just to go for it a little bit. Let's say... We have some listeners out there who aren't exactly sure what their passions are. Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I, I would say just be really open. I, I think it's a nice place to be, actually, um, when you're in a state of not necessarily going after something because that is a state of being ready. And so the important thing is to try to focus on being ready for the things that will come. Excellent advice. For the listeners, check out highlights of today's episode on our website, mtnmeister.com, on Steph's Meister profile page. Steph, it has been wonderful having you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me. Maybe we'll talk to you again on this show sometime. Well, I hope so. Thank you. Meister fans, hello, and thank you once again for tuning into Mountain Meister. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Steph Davis, wingsuit flyer, base jumper, rock climber, all the above. Mountain Meister will be taking a vacation over these next couple of weeks, but don't worry. I'll be releasing a couple of throwback episodes for you. Then, come 2015, we're going to start things off with a bang. You'll see what I'm talking about in a few weeks. Enjoy the holiday season. If you're looking to buy some nifty gifties, we've got tons of deals on our website, mtnmeister.com. As always, enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do when you listen to this podcast. It's called Mountain Meister. I'm the host, Ben Shank. Thank you for listening.